Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, listeners. Today we are reviewing Pet Cemetery. Now you may be thinking, wait, didn't you already review this a couple months ago? Well, yes, we did. We recorded the 80s version. But today we are discussing the 2019 remake slash reimagining of the one of the scariest Stephen King novels I have ever read. This is your co-host Corbin. I'm Alan, uh, back in Chicago. And as I said, it is based off of the novel, which I did actually read in anticipation for both reviews. I was quite eager to see how both films lined up with this movie and I was a little surprised they were redoing Pet Cemetery, but I guess not because we're kind of in a King Renaissance right now where he seems to have a new movie coming out every month. Yeah, that's true because, oh gosh, what other movies have his been coming out recently? Because what other movies have of his have been coming out? Uh, well, most notably It Chapter 2 just released. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably the thing that really kicked all this off. Uh, they released it, uh, which is, which was a mini series back in the nineties with Tim Curry as the clown. And then they revamped it, uh, this last year and it was, it got, it did really well with the box office. So, I mean, of course they did a second one. So yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see like a remake to maximum overdrive at some point. Oh dear. I am kind of, a, I'm kind of hoping not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a garbage. I would movie. love that. Ugh. I do know Netflix is releasing a new Stephen King film. I think it's called In the Tall Grass, and I hear okay. it's supposed to be pretty amazing. And gotcha. there was one other that came out this year that I'm drawing a blank on. I do know that Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel to The Shining, is coming out around November, I think. That should be interesting. That will be interesting because I know, yeah, The Shining is considered to be one of the best, if not the best, depending on who you ask, uh, horror movie of all time. Uh, it's held in very high regard and it's notable that uh, Stephen King himself hates the interpretation yeah. of that movie. Listeners, if you haven't already heard our review of the original Pet Cemetery film, then don't forget to check out our review and our thoughts on that as well, because I will be making some comparisons and giving a little bit of thoughts throughout this review as well. The link will be in the description below to that podcast. And also don't forget to click subscribe while you're at it so you don't miss our next week's review of Men in Black International. Also in the description, you'll find links to our Facebook and Twitter page, our official website, the ability to subscribe through YouTube. We've made it all very easy for you down there to, in the description to find links to all of our pages so you can always stay up to date with the latest Silver Screen Guide posts, videos, podcasts. And a if you do want to help support us, if you like what we're doing and you want us to help keep the lights on, don't forget to head on over to our Patreon page. That's down there below where Alan and I will give you bonus podcasts, our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, film commentaries, Q&As, all for the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee. That's just a great way to support us. It's very cheap and it also gives you some great content for you to keep. Well, as I said, I do absolutely love this novel. I find it to be fantastic. I love the story, characters, and ultimately what I found to be very compelling in King's writing 
are the questions about fatherhood, the afterlife, love for family, and ultimately playing God. I found King explored these ideas in a very satisfying way, and ultimately the point was a cautionary tale. But before we jump too far into this new work, Alan will give you some kind of technical background details to the film. So there isn't much, um, which was not really that big of a surprise to me. Uh, it was announced that they were going to be doing a remake in 2010, but then nothing really surfaced until about 2017. Um, so yeah, it was announced that they were going to start a development in 2010. Um, they knew, we knew that it was going to be a new pet cemetery, but aside from that information, that was all that we knew at the time. Um, well, around 2017, uh, it, the film was officially greenlit by Paramount. We got directors uh, Kevin Kolsch, I want to say. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and Dennis uh, Widmeyer, who, the, who were directors together. And then you had three writers um, that were credited. One is Stephen King for the novel, which is usually what happens when you have a book uh, made off of a movie made off of a book. Um, then you have Matt Greenberg, who did, I think he wrote an, like, an original draft or something. But he eventually just ended up getting a screen story credit only. And the screenplay credit ended up going to Jeff Bueller. So in 2018, uh, it was announced that Jason Clark, John Lithgow, Amy Simons, uh, and the other people who were going to be playing the other characters were have been announced that this is going to be our main cast. Um, along with, that includes like, you know, Gage and Ellie, and et cetera, et cetera. So after that, around August, uh, no, sorry, June to, into August, um, there was principal filming, uh, 2018. They told Christopher Young, he was going to do the score, um, which he's done. He's done a bunch of horror movie scores, like sinister, uh, things like that. So not a new name in horror scores. And then, um, they got, no, at the, at the end of the original pet cemetery, they had a song played that at the end of the credits that was called pet cemetery. So a, a band called Starcrawler came in and did a cover of that song that also plays at the end of these credits. One interesting thing that came about was, uh, I think that they were, I think Paramount was doing a little bit of restructuring because they were going to do Transformers. Um, I believe it's Transformers five or six. Uh, and then they pulled that. Um, so instead of doing Transformers five or six, whatever week it was supposed to come out, they replaced it with a different movie. Um, I don't think I have the name of it here. It doesn't really matter. Oh yeah, no. So when they pulled Transformers, this other movie called Limited Partners was going to take its place. And because of that, some they did a little bit of restructuring and pushed Pimp Cemetery. Instead of usually what would happen is they pushed the movie back a few weeks. Instead, they pushed it forward, I think, I think two weeks. So it was going to come out April 19th. Instead, it came out April 5th. Um, other than that, aside from background technical information, that's really all that there is out there. There wasn't much uh, that really ever happened, like no, no set drama or anything like that that happens on a lot of movies that we talk about. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me too much with this film. I assumed everything would probably be pretty straightforward. I didn't know it was announced in 2010, though, and it released. Yeah, that was like one of the things I didn't know either. I was thinking that's pretty early considering, but it could have just been a thing that uh, they had announced it and they were just waiting for the right time to actually greenlight it, which maybe was the case. There wasn't much information on that. Yeah, the only thing creatively on this team that makes sense to me is the writer Matt Greenberg. I went back through his filmography and this is actually his fourth Stephen King ad adaptation because he did Children of the Corn 3, which kind of doesn't count. 
He also wrote Mercy and 1408, which I've seen 1408, and I remember that being pretty good, but most notably, he wrote Reign of Fire, which I remember coming out when you and I were kids. It had Christian Bale, Jared Butler, Matthew McConaughey. Now, as for Jeff Bueller, he did also write another horror film this year called The Prodigy, which I recently watched, and I did not like it. I thought it was a really bad movie. Uh, You can read my thoughts over on Letterboxd if you want to review for that film. And also, Alan, Jeff Bueller is writing a little film that you and I will be reviewing before too long, Jacob's Ladder, the remake. You know... I kind of figured that was the case. I didn't look too deep into his filmography, but yeah, that doesn't really surprise me that he ended up doing Jacob Slider. I am excited for that one. Well, the other thing that confuses me is you said, uh, talked about the directing duo, which neither of them really have any substantial credits to their name. And that seems kind of like a trend now is to take an independent type filmmaker who had some kind of good initial work and then give them a big movie. Andy Muschietti did a short film about Mama. Guillermo del Toro said, make this into a movie, and now he's directing both it films. Um, Robert Jordan Vogt, something like that. He did some little, he did um, Kings of Summer, and then they gave him Kong Skull Island, and now he's making a metal gear solid movie i don't know i'm just saying it seems to see like take these relative unknowns because they have all these uh, sharp eyes and give them this big project to me that always bothers me don't give it to an unknown give it to somebody with a clear track record most recently listeners if you've been listening to our star trek reviews the very first star trek film the guy had never even basically heard of Star Trek for the first movie and they gave it to him and the movie was awful, but they said, Leonard, Leonard Nimoy, you've played Spock forever. Why don't you direct it? And then he's directed the, the best films of the series. So I'm just saying you give people right. what, what they know what they're doing. You give it to them, not to people that don't know what they're doing. Right. And to make matters kind of worse, usually when a big company like Paramount then they see that a movie that they're going to be releasing is they're afraid it's not going to do very well. They'll create a subsidiary uh, filmmaking uh, company and then pump the film out through them. So if they lose money, it won't be a loss really oh, to gosh. them. So if you notice in the opening, yes, Paramount was in the opening uh, crawls, but also was one of the one a pictures company called uh, Deboni Debona Ventura, ah. hmm. and I've never heard of this company. Um, so my mind immediately went to it might just be a subsidiary of uh, pa- Paramount Pictures that they made in the event that they lose money on this release. So that was my guess is. They were afraid, Paramount was afraid that they might lose money, so they made a subsidiary. Well, Paramount's inklings were pretty much spot on. I guess they didn't technically lose money, but nevertheless, if you look at their budget of $21 million and then what it grossed foreign and domestically and then worldwide, it's nothing to write home about. So usually you want to make uh, back your budget opening weekend, which they did. They had a $21 million budget and got $24.5 million back. So they made their money back opening weekend, which is pretty good. Um, 
domestically and total when it finished in the theaters it made 55.7 million and 57.6 million in the foreign market with a grand total of 112.3 million which in theory uh with a 21 million dollar budget that is a really good earnings considering what movie we have here this is rated r it is also an older uh, stephen king adaptation um and it's got a relatively small budget so in my mind, this is this is positive. This is, I mean, in terms of money making, uh, it seems that you know it did pretty well in the box office. It did do pretty well in the box office, but I think people were hoping it would have done far better. Considering, yeah, I'm trying to remember the domestic numbers for it. I want to say it grossed domestically like 300 million. Oh, I I would believe it. It did really really well. Uh, even for a rated R movie, it did really, really well because, I mean, that was also a movie that got a lot of, did really well in terms of its advertisement too. So I'm sure that was also part yeah, of it. Yeah, and there is that kind of name recognition where kids yeah. from when they grow up and watch the, the TV movie that you talked about earlier, there's a lot more name recognition behind it, but I still think there's decent enough name recognition behind Pet Cemetery for this to have done a bit better. I think they did a poor right. job marketing this movie. I don't know if you remember the trailers and seeing them in theaters and on TV, but I don't know. They they came across as kind of uninteresting and just cliche. Yeah, I don't think I actually remember the trailers at no. all for this movie. They're I knew that it was coming out, but aside from that, I don't think I actually ever saw a trailer for it. Going back to it for just a second, though, you were very close. The domestic total for it was three hundred and twenty-seven point four million domestically, with a thirty-five million dollar budget. So yeah, <laughs> it it did astronomically better, three times as better just domestically than uh, than Pet Cemetery did. Yeah, it, by far. And Pet Cemetery even yeah. couldn't come in at number one opening weekend, which. Doesn't no. surprise me because they're going up against Shazam, which maybe they thought was a safe bet because DC has kind of been in the toilet with people's uh, view of it. Although I think Aquaman did pretty well, but DC Shazam did beat it by quite a bit. But I did look up the other yeah. top five for that opening weekend. So it was Shazam, Pet Cemetery, Dumbo, Us, and Captain America. And I did notice at number six was The Best of Enemies, which I just recently watched, actually. It stars Sam Rockwell and Taraj P. Henson. I thought that movie was going to do <sighs> a lot better at the box office and maybe even award contender. After seeing it, it's it's not. And I understand. It's, it's still a good movie that I recommend you see. But it's kind of interesting. It came in so low at the box office with such big names. Right, yeah, yeah. Shazam got the opening. Uh, to be fair, Shazam is also a superhero property and it's rated PG-13, so it's going to get a lot more money than Pet Cemetery is. But yeah, it never reached number one. It stayed number. It came in at number two and just continued to drop after that because I think it went down to number four in week two and then number seven in week three. Uh, and Shazam was still, I think, number one and week two and even probably even week three. Um, at when week two came around, we had another movie called Little come out that got number two, and then Hell, the new Hellboy movie came out number three. So it never really did like after it came out opening weekend number two, it just continued to go downwards, which is no real surprise, I suppose. But 
yeah, it never ever reached number one spot. Maybe it was just trying to be like an alternative to um, to Shazam uh, for more adults who don't really want to see Shazam, or who knows what the reason why what the reasoning was. Uh, for releasing at the same time that Shazam was releasing. Yeah, but like we said, it was still technically a box office success. So there's yeah, no reason for Paramount to be disappointed, probably. Now, I did check as far as Stephen King theatrical films went, adjusting for inflation, this is the 19th highest grossing out of 43 films. So. Okay, so it's about yeah, in the middle it's about then. About in the middle, coming in just slightly under. So I, I guess that's good. I don't know, considering. Some of some Stephen King theatrical movies are bad, as Alan yeah, and I mentioned yeah. earlier with Maximum Overdrive. Ooh. So I looked at the ratings. Um, surprisingly, they're all uh, pretty close together. So IMDb <laughs> is five point eight. Rotten Tomatoes is fifty eight for credit for critics and thirty four percent for uh, audience score. Meta score is 57. Uh, Cinema score is shockingly low at a C plus, where the original was a B. Yeah. Ouch. And then you got Letterboxd at a two and a half, which is like right in the middle. So overall, things seem to be very, very meh for it. It's right there about 50% of the way uh, for almost almost all the ratings across the board, aside from Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the audience score. Yeah, the cinema score of a C plus is a pretty bad endorsement. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's re- that's pretty bad. If, like we mentioned, if you're not above like a B, then it's audience wise, it's not received very well. Yeah, ooh, that's bad. A very C plus. I I'm a little surprised. I'm not trying to give anything away. I'm a little surprised. Uh, like the general audience gave it a C plus. Maybe not a B minus uh, mm-hmm. because I don't think this any does anything too different from your run of the mill horror movies, which audiences seem to like and bring in quite a bit of money. Right. Well, yeah, Cinema Score of fifty seven is pretty meh. Rotten Tomatoes is apparently considered rotten, and I'd say a five point eight on IMDb is bad. Yeah, we they all kind of have their uh, different ways of rating because yeah, like we mentioned, anything below a B in Cinema Score is pretty bad. Anything really below like a six and a half or so on IMDb is considered bad. Uh, Metascore, if you're below like I think a sixty ish percent, you're it's in the yellow. So everything here is. It's not looking very good. It's looking very mediocre at best. Critically, though, it is considered better than the first film because I did recheck the numbers from the first film. The first one does have a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes and an abysmally low 38 on Metascore. Okay. So, yeah, it's looking like it's roughly the same in terms of uh, quality as the original um but yeah critically it looks like it sounds like it was received a little bit better than the original the imdb audience like audience score is way higher for the original at a 6.6 yes that's right yeah i remember it being in the sixes when we last reviewed it all right listeners if you haven't seen the new pet cemetery film and you don't want it spoiled for you then go ahead and click pause right now We are going to be getting into spoiler territory here in just a minute. So once you have seen the film, come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. Okay, so if you've seen the original Pet Cemetery, um, 
the first hour of this new movie is nothing new, come to find out. So, anyways, we so the the movie opens with um, a shot, an overhead shot of a house burning, and then leads into the house of the Creeds, and you see a door to a a door to a car that is open and a blood trail leading into the house. And then after that, it flashes white and rolls into the opening credits and the opening B-roll of the Creed's moving into this house uh, that we just seen. So Louis Creed moves his family away from their old house into this new one that's a bit more a bit more remote uh, in an attempt to spend more time with his family. Not long after moving in, however, Ellie discovers a procession of kids wearing animal masks walking towards the pet cemetery, a graveyard in the woods behind their house. Later on, Ellie ventures out into the cemetery on her own and meets their neighbor, Judd. While at work, a college kid named Victor Pesco is brought into the ER after being hit by a car. Pesco warns Lewis not to go beyond the pile in the cemetery, saying the barrier is, must not be broken. From then on, Lewis continues to have dreams of Pesco's warning. We discover that wife Rachel has has, strange, has had a strange feeling ever since they moved into this house because of her experience with her sister Zelda. When Rachel was young, she was tasked with delivering her sister her meals. Zelda, was, Zelda has severe spinal meningitis, causing her to be bedridden and jealous of Rachel for living a normal life. One night, when taking care of her sister alone in the house, Rachel sent sent up her dinner with their dumbwaiter. Zelda somehow ended up on top of the mechanism and died inside the shaft right in front of Rachel. Later on, on Halloween night, Judd pulls Lewis aside to show that Church, the family cat, was dead on the side of the road after being hit by a car. Later that night, Judd leads Lewis into the place beyond the pet cemetery and has Lewis bury his cat. Come to find out, the grounds beyond, the, the grounds beyond are ancient Indian burial grounds. Anything, de anything dead buried there will be brought back to life. However, this comes with the side effect that of what, what is resurrected is not the same as it once was. Church does come back to the house, but is more hostile than before, causing Lewis to drop the cat off in the middle of nowhere, hoping it wouldn't come back. Church doesn't stay away for long, however, and returns during Ellie's ninth birthday party. When Ellie and friends play a little game of hide-and-seek, Ellie runs out, in, runs out to hide by the road behind some shrubbery and sees Church walking towards the house. Little brother Gage runs out into the street and right as the semi-truck is flying down the road. Lewis grabs Gage at the last minute, but as the semi breaks, the its tank unhooks and slams into Ellie, killing her. After the funeral, Rachel and Gage head to her parents' house while Lewis stays behind to wrap up some things before making his way to them. Lewis has, an alter has alternative motives, however. Instead, he digs up Ellie from her grave and places her in the same grounds as Church, waiting for and waits for her at home. Like Church's hostile nature after returning, Ellie suffers much the same. Rachel begins to worry about Lewis and decides to head back to the house after Gage sees a vision of Pascal. After failing to reach Lewis, Rachel then calls Judd and asks him to check on, check on his, her husband. Jed, Judd becomes very skeptical, figuring that Lewis might have gone to the burial grounds the night before. Visiting Lewis confirms this. Judd heads back to his house, but is attacked by Ellie, who cuts his Achilles heel, not, not from under the bed, but on his way down the stairs. Rachel arrives back at the house uh, and is met with her undead daughter. Instead of deciding to get back in the car, she decides and head back to her parents' house. She instead heads upstairs to Sanctuary. However, Ellie attacks her mother, kills her, and drags her body into the burial grounds and buries her. Meanwhile, Lewis is checking on Judd to find that he was murdered in his house and runs back to save Gage, locking him in the family car with the instruction of, don't open the door for anyone, not even Ellie. 
Lewis heads back to the pet cemetery where Ellie explains that she buried mom out back and then attacks her father. Lewis pins down Ellie and is just about to decapitate his daughter with a shovel before he's stabbed through the chest by his now undead wife. Ellie and Rachel take Lewis to the back and bury him as well. We return with an answer to the opening shot of the undead Creed family burning Judd's house and walking towards Gage in the car. Lewis gestures for Gage to unlock the door as credits roll. So we can say this is almost the same movie except for the third act and Ellie instead of Gage yeah, being the one to die. Pretty much. that's Everything literally is almost a shot-for-shot shot remake with, with in this first hour from the original up until the point when uh, the tent and the semi flies on the road and ends up killing Ellie instead of Gage. And we're kind of led to, led to believe that it's going to be Gage. Um until the tank from the semi unhooks and then it slams into Ellie. That's when things from then on until the very end, things are rather, they follow the same structure, but it's also very different. And I guess this was slightly spoiled for me, but not as much as some people, because if you paid attention to all of the promotional material, you would have known it was going to be Ellie instead of Gage. And that was going to be the big twist of the movie. For some reason, they gave that away through the promotional material. I tried to stay away from trailers as best I could. And I did I did see, okay, I watched a clip, a free clip from PlayStation. And it had a little girl kind of slicing, that scene where she slices Judd's uh, Achilles tendon. And I thought, okay, what's, well, what's this about? And I didn't really know who it was, but I kind of wondered. And then... Ultimately, when I did pop the disc in, I saw it was a main figure of a little girl on there. And I'm like, ah, okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Ellie. I guess I wasn't too like frustrated about that. And I will say, I actually think that change really works. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think that this change from Gage to Ellie, uh, especially the way that they write it, I think does a better job thematically than if we were to have Gage. Because it really focuses on the father-daughter relationship in this family. That's one of the biggest focuses. And I was wondering when it gets to the point of her birthday party where I know from the original, that's when Gage dies. I was like, okay, well, Gage has only been in a couple scenes. Because I didn't didn't really think that Ellie was going to be the one who would get hit by the truck. Um, I I tried to stay as far away from any kind of material as possible. Uh, And so I didn't see the poster. Well, okay, I saw the poster, but I didn't make the connection that that was... Ellie or whatever I just kind of clicked play on the movie so when it came to the scene and Ellie gets hit I was like I was reasonably surprised because I'm just like well crap that wasn't Gage but also wasn't that big of a surprise in the same vein because they only had Gage in like a couple of scenes up until this point anyway so it made sense why they would go for Ellie aside from Gage mostly due on the fact that Gage was just not in the movie hardly at all up until this point yeah, and I also have to give a lot of credit to uh, Jeté Lawrence's performance. I thought it was pretty good for most of the movie until the third act when I thought she did a really great job being incredibly creepy. And I don't know, she just really did come across as this kind of weird, unholy resurrection. One of the scenes that stood out to me was when Lewis is giving her a bath and she turns around and gives him that incredibly creepy little smile. And I thought, wow, that that's really well done. So uh, they picked the right girl, I would say. 
because in the first half of the movie, she does really portray the sweet innocence and there is that father-daughter bond. And also, I think that further ties into the wife's fear of death, being a female, and her sister was dying and did die when she was young. So I liked what they were going for there. Whether they kind of completely brought all of that and tied that up together, we'll talk about that here in just a yep. minute. But overall, the performances, I don't think I had any issue with anyone's performance. I was mostly concerned with John Lithgow as Judd Crandall. I was very concerned about that, but I think he did a pretty good job. He did fine. Um, probably one of my favorites, aside from uh, Jete Lawrence, would be Jason Clark. I thought I liked his performance in this movie. Yeah, I'm with you on all that. I think almost everybody here, and there really isn't that big of a cast either. It's the four crud member, crud, well, the four Creed family members and Judd. Those, those are the five main characters of the story, and I guess you can consider the cat. But everyone, I don't think anybody here really gives a bad performance. I mean, maybe Gage, but he's a kid and he doesn't really <laughs> have many lines or any scenes at all. So, yeah, everyone here, I think, does a reasonably good job of acting given the script that there is here. Uh, we'll get into the script a little bit, a little bit later, but yeah, I, I'm agree. I'm, I agree with you on all that. It, nobody really gives a bad performance. Um, I would say that the Ellie does kind of, her performance is kind of get a bit hammy there towards the end, but I don't really blame her as much as I blame the script. Once again, we'll get into that, but yeah, in the most part, for the most part, I don't really have an issue with any of the acting here, which is honestly surprising to me because given how cliche a lot of these horror movies can be, um, they also often have pretty bad acting just all the way throughout. And this was one of the exceptions. I never really found any of the acting pretty much anywhere to be that bad. And I've always liked Jason Clark as an actor, so I was pretty pleased to see him play uh, Lewis. And I know John Lithgow is a very good actor. I mostly know him from comedy. So I thought, how is he going to portray this really serious role? And I think he did a pretty good job. But once again, I was a little disappointed his wife wasn't in it because she was a major part of the book. But if you did, I don't know if this came across to you, Alan, but um, when Ellie is about to murder him, her face changes to that of uh, Lewis's, or I'm not sorry, Judd's deceased wife. Right. Yeah, I, I did notice that. And that kind of gets into part of the script parts of the scripting issues I have where some of the rules they make up here aren't really explored. And so it kind of, it's confusing. So that scene was more strange to me than it was, uh, I guess, anything that I found to be very interesting. I guess the thing that is hard for me to separate is because I have read the book. Right. So I'm bringing in the knowledge of the book where a lot of these things from the book about kind of the mythology or lore of the pet cemetery haven't been addressed really in, they were kind of addressed if I'm recalling correctly in the first movie, but not very much. And they're really not addressed here, which I'm kind of disappointed about, but they did give it a bit of addressing when her face did shift to the wife. I thought that was kind of interesting and a nice way of giving you a quick footnotes of that uh, whole backstory. Although I'm guessing to most uh, viewers like yourself and others who 
don't have a familiarity with the source material, like you said, that may seem a bit out of left field. And right. granted, you are correct. It is kind of like coming out of nowhere, but reading the book, I I liked it because I knew what was going right. on. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You know, you have more context than what I would have uh, because you have read the actual source material. I think that's also kind of one of my issues uh, was uh, just, it. you mentioned footnotes. Uh, a lot of this movie does kind of feel like here's the footnotes version of a lot of scenes and just kind of flies by um, without really explaining a lot. This is one of those moments where the why she turns into the wife, uh, why Ellie turns into the wife in front of Judd doesn't really make a lot of sense. Nothing's really ever explained. This the only time it ever happens in the story um, when Ellie herself actually shapeshifts. So yeah, it's that kind of a thing. Uh, that's probably the biggest example I can give of like a footnotes version of a lot of this, a lot of story beats. Yeah, I would say the whole film in general is the cliff notes version of the book. Yeah, yeah. which okay, I, I'm going to talk about that here in just a second. But I guess my final mm -hmm. real positive for this movie is the third act. I actually really thought they did a good job with the third act. It was a little too late, though, because they should have kept up that with the first and second act because the emotionality mm -hmm. just wasn't there. I do, really did feel the emotionality. I thought it was incredible, too, uh, because in the original source material and in the first movie, they don't really have to face their consequences like and let, the, let it breathe. This is really frantic. Uh, the book ends just kind of on the somber acceptance of everyone's death. Whereas this is a frantic struggle of Lewis to face the facts of his choices. And uh, because of the emotional drama of the third act, I think it makes it the best act of this film. And having the whole family resurrect, I accept that change from the end of the novel. I I did like that a lot. Yeah, I I think that the third act, I think what they change in the third act is good. But also because of what they've built up getting to that point. Because... One of my other positives of this is, I kind of mentioned this before, uh, is the fact that you have this father-daughter relationship that takes kind of helm of the movie here. They do a pretty good job at, you know, building that relationship in kind of a subtle way, because if especially if you've seen the original, you would assume that Gage is going to be the one who gets hit. Uh, but then the twist comes about end of, uh, about, I think a half an hour from the end, that's not the case. It ends up being Ellie. And it's for me, it was like, oh, well, yeah, how could I have not seen this coming? So I do like that part. I think they do a pretty good job at building this relationship between Jason Clark and Ellie, or Jason Clark, between Lewis and Ellie, um, and kind of playing this idea of the father-daughter relationship. And then when it gets to that point where he has to, when he's deciding if he should or should not dig up her body and put it into the burial ground, it does a lot has a lot more weight to it than it did in the original because you have that relationship that's been built up for like an hour so i think it does a really good job especially when you see jason clark who already is a pretty good actor anyways portray this inner struggle especially when he's sitting there with judd and you kind of already know his mind is made up of what he's going to do and you see his internal struggle leading up into that uh, leading up to that moment of is is this something that he actually wants to do now that he knows what he what the power of that burial ground actually is I like that part. I do too. But where I think they could have really made this a far better film than the original is actually take some time to explore the themes that they mm -hmm. do bring up, 
but they really don't go anywhere with. So I was majorly disappointed where they have one brief conversation about the afterlife or God, everything I brought up in the beginning that King discussed in his book. Better writers could bring this up and give it some actual meaning and weight and tie it all back around. Instead, we get just just really watered down, wishy-washy stuff, or just nothing at all. So what they clearly opted for was let's just hit the major story beats and forget about creating any real themes of, of the movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things that was one of the things I criticized in the original is yep. that they bring up these ideas, but they don't ever explore them. And it's even worse here because, like you just mentioned, they kind of bring up this idea of death and how Lewis thinks that once we die, that's it. And that's like one of the few conversations we actually have about that, about his ideals in this situation. In the original, you guys spend a little bit more time exploring those ideas. Now, to be fair, there's not much more time. It's very, very shallow. And this one is no exception. In fact, it's even, like I just mentioned, even worse because you have these ideas that are rather interesting. You know, a doctor who doesn't believe that once you die, that's it. You know, there's nothing else left. And then after he come, after he's been tempted to, uh, after he's been with his power, being tempted with his power to resurrect something, they think it's very interesting. Um, the mom, once again, uh, with Rachel, like you mentioned, she has a big backstory. In fact, her, her character is, is essentially only backstory because <laughs> she has that experience with Zelda, right. right? But that's really all that her character is because one of the, my other issues here is outside of Lewis and Ellie, no other character really gets enough time on the screen to explore them because I think this movie has a problem with editing and it moves way too fast. It does. And I was kind of getting flashes of the recent Halloween movie, how you and I said that oh, as yeah. well. They really didn't take the time like Carpenter did to establish any kind of defining atmosphere. And instead it's right. make it look glossy, make it look generic and let's hit the beats quickly. I, I couldn't even believe how fast we got to, when the time came for church to be run over and for them to go up and bury it, I thought, oh my gosh, are we here already? I, it's like, no, 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 yeah. we're not We're not even near ready for that because the only way that feels earned or even gives us any kind of food for thought is we have to explore these themes of life, death, and resurrection, especially through characters that don't even really believe in this stuff. And now they're about to come face to face with something that will change their world. And eventually right. the father is going to play God and make all of these choices. I guess what I was mostly disappointed with is a lot of these character moments that do occur probably towards the end of the second act, maybe in the beginning of the third act. None of it feels quite earned to me. The writers haven't done a good enough job work, like really working this out through the audience to make any of their decisions towards the end feel like they're they're earned or they're logical right well, i'm absolutely with you and it kind of i when i mentioned earlier editing is not great here uh the oh, there's an opening sequence for about 30 seconds where i think it's a very good example of this because it goes from this rather happy family to dad's first day on the job um to back at home you get to see the funeral procession and the tone just completely changes the that's kind of a problem with this movie. It does kind of 
figure itself out later on, but it has a problem with tone where, and this kind of comes through with the editing, things just move so fast that you go from one scene to the next and the tone has been as radically changed. Uh, and for a movie that's, you know, rather dark and rather sinister with what it's trying to, what it's trying to explore, I, I think it's a good idea to, you know, keep things, keep things, especially in this context, flowing nicely into what would become the dad's downfall. Uh, we kind of get that, but once again, because this movie is edited, in my opinion, very poorly, uh, you don't, some of the emotional weight that could be there isn't there. And, I mean, I understand that the writers have to make certain choices to cut things from the source material in order to adapt adapt a very long book into a reasonable runtime for the audience to get. But nevertheless, I'm just they don't need to sacrifice character moments for story beats, which is what they did. And it is a little weird because I did watch the deleted scenes, which did have more character moments. This movie isn't even two hours. I don't know why they didn't leave these character moments in. But once again, I'm thinking, like Alan said, they don't know how to edit for it very well. Or they think that the audience maybe is is going to be bored because we live in this YouTube, you know, clickbait culture where you have to switch YouTube videos every 15 seconds. So maybe that's why they're going through it so quickly. I don't know. Right. I was even disappointed that uh, the whole Zelda, Zelda's death was Zelda looked more realistic, which I thought was mm -hmm. a major mistake because I the Zelda look from the original film is iconic and her death in this is stupid. She doesn't choke to death like she did in the other one. She crawls to the dumbwaiter and falls down the dumbwaiter shaft or something. Yeah, she falls down to the dumbwaiter shaft and that's how she dies. How that... How the logistics of that work, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, it just kind of feels like a step beyond realism in this in this moment because, yeah, in the original, she chokes, right? That's a relatively real thing to see. But when somebody falls in a, a dumbwaiter, it just is coming off for a bit silly. It, it, it is silly. I couldn't even believe it. I thought, no, you are not changing Zelda's death to... Because the other one was really... I would say poignant and made Rachel yeah. feel much more guilty. Whereas this one is just, uh, I don't know, I guess it's just an accident or something. She falls down the dumbwaiter. Anyways, right. not, not pleased about that. But ultimately I do think these filmmakers are really missing what makes the, the story scary. I think the part of it is that they're blinded by nostalgia. They're trying to keep things similar enough to the original source material, not to make anybody else mad. The problem is the original source is also not very good, which we definitely talked about in our last podcast uh, when we last talked about Pet Cemetery. And I think the problem they have here is that you, in my opinion, you should be able to change a lot more than what they changed here. What they change is good, but that's only for a third of the movie. You still have another hour of material that is essentially a copy paste from the original, which once again, it's not even that good. You, sh I feel like you should go back to the original source, the book, and pull a lot more of those major themes and explore those more, way more than they did here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the The real meaning behind King's work is how do how does a father deal with his family through life's tough questions, and right. especially when I did come to the point where Gage had died in the book. 
I had spent so much time with the family, I wasn't even going to think something bad would happen, but just like how the semi just hit Gage out of the blue, that's how it hit me in the book. I mean, it was a real emotional impact. And uh, ultimately, dealing with these dark questions is what makes it scary. Not little zombie children coming up and, you know, speed running at you to right. jump on you, Chucky style, which is just stupid. Of course, an adult can overpower a child. I always bugged me that's not that's not what's scary um i i would say the horror lies in coming to terms with the choices that were made and dealing with the aftermath which is largely ditched in this movie yeah it is especially in this third act not not the whole third act but there is a good section the last about 10 20 minutes is they kind of ditch that heaviness of these questions that should be more prominent in a movie like this and they go for more of let's try and just stir up some spooks <laughs> with the little with little Ellie here. It's unfortunate that they couldn't get to a point of emotional stakes where they ask these questions and then act on instinct with the dad and how he has to react to what he's done. He has to pay for his consequences in a more emotionally impacting way. Instead, they kind of opt for more of a cliche. Uh, where they do change a bit here, where they where Ellie does take the mom and marry her in the back, um, in the burial grounds, which is fine, I guess. Uh, but it doesn't have as much weight to it as I feel like it probably should have here. And there is an alternate ending to this film. There is, yeah. Did you watch it? I didn't um, get around to watching it, no, but I did read about okay. it. Yeah, I did watch it and I found it to be interesting and it's probably a better ending because like we said, it probably leaves you with more of an emotional weight. So in the end, Lewis doesn't die and they don't bury him and resurrect him. Ultimately, from what I recall, he's persuaded by his wife because I think Ellie has already buried her and she's come back and she's saying, you know, we can have a family again and it's kind of like he's become this drug addict where he knows the drug won't satisfy him, but the allure of that temptation is too strong. So he keeps falling back into this self-destructive behavior until he right. just comes to total ruin. And so the final shot of the movie kind of parallels back to, um, I can't remember if it was shown earlier, but kind of this family portrait where they were happy. And now it's him looking completely depressed and he has two undead women the the daughter and mom and then his son is just sitting on his lap crying and the camera slowly pans out of the house and just kind of shows right. you like the stillness of everything i think that would probably be a better ending for the film i'm surprised it didn't that didn't make the final cut um i mean i guess it's more publicly accessible with the ending that we do get where everyone becomes a zombie yeah um, in the end, uh, but yeah, I, I I wonder why they didn't add that because I read about it on Wikipedia and I was like, this seems like yeah, a bit more emotionally impacting than what we end up getting. Um, eh. It's it's really strange. This movie does play a lot with cliches. Well, and just one last note, I guess, about the editing is okay. You remember when Lewis goes down into the basement? And he's worried Ellie's going to be down there and he opens up that curtain. Yes. Uh, of, of the little hole. There's like that little small area and there, it's just a false scare. I don't think anything's in there. 
that comes up in the deleted scenes a few times as kind of Ellie's hideout where she goes when she's feeling scared. Once again, father and daughter connect and Lewis pretends he's scared about the whole move. I don't know. Once again, it's just like you said, weird editing choices mm-hmm. that leave me wondering while watching the movie, I thought, well, well, what is he doing here? What does this scene have any connection with? And little do we know it was important earlier on, but the whole, the whole entire scene was cut earlier. So right. it, it really just feels out of the blue. Like, where is he, what's he doing here? Right. I do wonder if Pet Cemetery, this new adaptation, well, if they would have focused completely around uh, the father daughter relationship, like cut out mom, cut out gauge, cut out even maybe you can keep church, but maybe have church play a more important role, a more prominent role in the story. Do some changes of the source material, like usually what a movie adaptation kind of should do. Um, change it around so it focuses completely on this father daughter father daughter relationship, and then build the movie off of that. I feel like because they kind of do that here, but you have these extra characters that also need some screen time but don't really get much. I wonder if that. If they, just fully, if they solely focus on that, if that would have made a more compelling and more emotionally driven movie. That was one of the things I was thinking of getting towards the end here when I was like, mm, maybe we should focus more on this thing that is clearly more important uh, to the filmmakers here, but we just aren't spending... every. We have other characters here that are kind of battling for screen time as well. I think that might have been the case as well. Also... Stephen King, because his work is so long and so detailed, especially emotionally, this probably would have worked better as a miniseries. I feel like everything King should probably not be a movie. It probably should just be a miniseries because you're going to have to you're going to have to sacrifice a lot. And even if you are a great writer and you are able to bring the emotions into a two hour film, I don't know. You're still going to miss a lot with the source material and probably not give a very good adaption. Right, right. Well, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Pet Cemetery? So uh, my biggest question when I left the movie was, is it better or worse or the same as the original? Um, I'm going to have to go with roughly the same as the original. Um, I like the, I've mentioned this many times before in this podcast. I like the father-daughter relationship here. Unfortunately, you have mom, who I think does have enough in her character that's presented here to make an entirely separate movie just about her and her fears and emotional weight of her experience with her. Gage in this movie is essentially non-existent. Uh, Church has got the same problem. He The, the cat is basically non-existent. Uh, Judd, he's there and there is something with him and he there is a scene where he mentions... This is the reason why for reviving church is because he was captured by Ellie, but we never get, we never really feel that. There's a lot of things that are presented here, but are never really explored. And this main focus, unfortunately, drives away a lot of extra details. So I feel like that's why I mentioned earlier, if they would just focus on the father-daughter relationship, maybe it would have made this movie a bit more tight and even better. That being said, no, it's not that good. It's got a really bad script. It's got really bad editing. Uh, I I can't recommend it. It's a three out of 10. Not recommend. I definitely got to say I am disappointed because I was looking forward to this movie. I really thought we had a shot of a good Pet Cemetery film that really would do the book justice, considering it was so well done. At least I thought it was. The book's vastly superior, but whatever. That book's like 10,000 pages long. Nevertheless, 
what I hope to be much more ended up being a middle of the road, emotionless, not very scary horror movie. I will say this is the best adaption of the book, despite the changes. I did like how some callbacks were nicely woven in, but the mythos and personal connections found in the novel are largely missing in this half-hearted attempt. Performances are good all around, especially Jeté Lawrence as the standout Ellie. All of that being said, it's still, I guess, a passable horror film. It's, it's like I said, it's very cliche and watery, but... I guess I can say I never found myself bored, but that's probably due to its incredibly fast pace, which is a whole nother issue. We've talked about how I'd probably rather be interested instead of saying, at least I wasn't bored. <laughs> um, and like I said, I found the third act to be satisfying for what it was. Um, I did like it enough because it gave me the Cliff Notes edition of the novel, and I was engaged for the most part of the movie. I was just displeased at the lack of thematic exploration. The cautionary message still gets through that our actions, although with the best intentions, can have de devastating consequences when born out of selfish desire. If you're interested in it, I recommend you watch it, but otherwise you can pass. I am going to give it a 6 out of 10, which is a very middle-of-the-road score for me and a very weak recommend. So, given that we did talk about money earlier in the podcast, is there going to be a sequel to Pet Cemetery? Maybe. There are talks of a, pre a prequel, maybe, according to the producer. Um, the, although what? the directors, yeah, apparently they're thinking it's been mentioned that there might be a possibility for a prequel. So, who knows if that'll come about? Um, it probably will. Or something tied to this role because it did make pretty good money. The directors said that they're not going to come back for it. Uh, but the screenwriter did say that if they were going to do anything related to this, they were going to be focusing more on the mythology, like the rituals and the Wendigo and et cetera. Other than that, he said, aside from what I think we should focus on, there are no plans currently to make a anything related to Pet Cemetery. So it's possible mm. in the next few years we'll see something else come up out of this. Uh, we might not. It, I don't really know. There's not enough information to really say what is going to happen and what is not going to happen. But there are talks of some kind of property coming, stemming off of this pet cemetery and focusing on something related to it, whether that be a prequel or whether that be something focused on the mythology. I think focusing on the mythology would probably be wholly unnecessary. Yeah. Since... I don't really see how much they could make out of that. To me, that would feel kind of like a cheap Conjuring Universe cash grab. Like you and I watched The Curse of La Llorona, where ah, it's just yes. like stupid, crappy backstory <sighs> as told in like five minutes of the very beginning. I, I don't know. I don't really want Pet Cemetery to be resurrected. I think it probably needs to be done unless they do decide to do some really incredible TV miniseries that gives us tons of time to focus on the characters right. and they kind of, you know, split it down the middle. I think that could possibly work. I know they theatrically made pet cemetery too. That's right. They I did. did briefly. I did talk about that a little bit cause I watched it. Um, it's not good, <laughs> but uh, didn't expect it to be. They, they, they tried yeah. at least. And that was weird. Cause that was a theatrical film. I don't know. The thought of a pet cemetery two or prequel didn't even enter my mind. Um, the only way I think it could work maybe is if they, I know they're, they 
been trying to get a Stephen King universe up and running where they're supposed to be connecting all of his films somehow. I don't know. Maybe if they could tie it into it and maybe have like Pennywise be some kind of weird culprit behind the resurrections. I don't know. Maybe that'd be kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I don't we don't definitely don't need anything. Yeah, I would I would think my initial thoughts on them going into the mythology of everything here uh, feels kind of like that's cliche. Um, so I don't think we need anything more pet cemetery than this. They're actually going to do something, you know, right with it. <laughs> Both movies that we've seen have not been, have not really, apparently, according to what I've been hearing from you, haven't really, haven't really been doing much with the source material and not doing it justice. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, anything in the next few years, I think would be a cash grab. Mm -hmm. Now, if in the next 20 years, if we get a mini series to revive it, then I'd probably be okay with that. But I don't know. I have a strong feeling that we're never going to see anything to do with this again. I'll probably eat my words. And in 20 years, we'll be reviewing something, something different or in the next two years surprise, it'll be like pet cemetery three right. or something. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, we'll find out. But listeners, thank you so much for joining us for our review of pet cemetery. We do want to know what you think of this film, especially we want to know, here's the question after the show. Is this better than the previous film. Is this the best adaption of the Stephen King novel? Make sure to comment your thoughts below. I'm very curious to see what you think because I think it is the best adaption. And like I said, I like the third act despite all of the flaws of this film. Don't forget to check out all of the links in the description below. Tons of goodies for you to explore down there. We've made all the links very easy for you to find. And if you are listening right now on iTunes, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. No, that's not to inflate our egos, although it'll probably make us feel pretty good. That is to help us be found in the rankings so that other people who are looking for a movie review podcast and a movie lover community to engage with, it'll be a lot easier for them to find that as well. And of course, one of the other easiest ways is just to share it with your friends and family. And of course, if you haven't already subscribed, don't forget to click subscribe. Alan, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. And we will see you next week with our review of Men in Black International. All right, let me text my roommates and say I'm live now. Hmm, we're getting something's going off. One sec. Uh, something's going off in my apartment. Okay, I'm back. Uh, our fire alarm is just, I literally, I pushed the record button and no more than a second and a half after I do that, our fire alarms just for whatever reason go off. Nothing's on, there's no, nothing's steaming, yeah. So 
everything was fine. Not entirely sure what exactly that was about, but 